This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. The Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. You have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with not doing it, What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Tyler Bryant of Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. Um, I'm actually doing something a little bit differently than I normally do. Uh, a lot of times when I record these intro outros, it's, you know, about a week or so before I put the episode out and I'm kind of reflecting back on, on the chat, you know, what I did. Uh, a lot of times I put up these conversations over on the Patreon and I kind of write down in the moment of having just done it, what it's about, what happened and things that made me feel. And I'm going to pull a page from Mark Marin actually, I literally just got done talking to Tyler, so I thought, you know, fuck it, let's do it a little differently. Let's let's be in the moment. Let's do something that is kind of riding the quote unquote high from from talking to Tyler. And the thing that was interesting about this chat is I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I've kind of peripherally been following Tyler's career over the last couple of years, and you know, I see the emails I get uh, from different publicists and so forth, and it was one of those where. You know, I kind of wanted to talk to him, but I, I was so afraid to have someone like Tyler on because it's it's not what I'm known for. It's not metal. It's not these things. And I think a few years ago, I wouldn't have had Tyler on for that very reason because it would have gone against the quote unquote demographic that listens to this show. Now here I am a few years later, and and it's kind of something we end up talking about is just kind of sloughing the fuck it kind of mentality of like who cares? Who cares what people think? Who cares? what someone thinks this show is, I get to dictate what this show is based on 
who I want to talk to and, and the conversations we have. And I, I've said all along in the last few years when the show has really changed to more of a conversation that this show is kind of a just that. It, it's kind of people that I find interesting and I want to talk to. And Tyler is one of those people that you look at his career and he he's kind of an, a, an outlier. He doesn't really fit in anywhere either. And how is how is that not more punk rock? How is that not metal? How is that not something we all identify with in, in a lot of these musical landscapes where the outcasts are kind of drawn to them, the, the people who don't belong anywhere, but we find our family within the outcasts. And Tyler is one of those that, you know, there's, you know, as I say, you know, I feel like he's kind of the old soul, like I get lumped in with when I talk to people that are older than me and who look at me and assume that I don't know anything about whatever. Um, but this is a really fun chat. I, I really, really enjoyed my time with him and I really enjoyed getting to kind of step out of my own comfort zone of, you know, what I think the show is. And honestly, with me just having dropped the Austin Mead episode, I feel like that's why I was like so excited to kind of be like, I think this is the time to do it because, you know, I had Austin on and now here's someone who's kind of in that same, same lack of a lane, but I think we'll have a kind of a very similar conversation. And to my surprise, he actually had worked with Austin on his latest record that's not out yet. So it's uh, it's one of those where sometimes, and again, a theme that we kind of talked about in the episode, the universe will kind of unfold itself the way it's supposed to. And you just kind of have to believe that you, you're where you need to be when you need to be. And this chat with Tyler, I think, was kind of where we both needed to be when we, when we needed to be here. Um, so you know what? Without further ado, this is my conversation with Tyler. Talk to you on the other side of it. Where are you based out of? Grand Rapids. Oh Michigan. shit! Yeah, hey, we're coming to the intersection. Yep, or something like that. Yeah, you're playing in the stash. Uh, cool. Nice little intimate venue in our multifaceted venue in the intersection. Awesome, man. It's kind of you know, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about when you you were coming through because you know there are some bands that come through, and I often talk about how on in Grand Rapids you know I feel like we're very much a musician's town a musician's city, and I kind of love that in some capacities because you know when I want to talk to other band people about and nerd out about band stuff I can, yeah. but I also feel like it's what makes me hate going to shows when you go see really proficient bands because you just get a lot of the. Like, yeah. what are you doing? What kind of gear you got? Like, and you don't really see as many people kind of getting lost in being at the show necessarily. And I feel like a band and a musician of your caliber, I feel like you probably experience that quite a bit. Do you? Yeah. I mean, it's especially like if we play Nashville, it's, it's always the big cities like Nashville, New York, you know, where you get sort of the people that are kind of like deciding if you're, if you're worth their energy or not, you know, and uh, <laughs> it's fine. I, you know, it doesn't, I kind of, it doesn't bother me or anything, but cause I, I think sometimes I've, I recently had a, uh, and we could, we can talk about this once we're rolling or whatever, but I've, I've recently we're had rolling a, now. I kind of rolled. Cause oh. you, we have to get a water right when I was like, let's go. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. I recently yeah. had a, um, an experience where my wife and I went to a festival 
that we weren't playing at. My wife's in a band as well. And we weren't playing and we were just festival attendees, mm. you know, because the band that I had been producing played and I wanted to, to hear them. And so we didn't have a backstage area mm. to go hang in. We didn't have like a trailer with couches where we could get out of the heat. And uh, Black Joe Lewis and the Honey Bears were playing. And I was like laying on my back in the grass, not even looking at the stage, not even seeing the band and fully enjoying the show. And that kind of like gave me a different perspective because if I were to see me from the stage laying in the grass, I'd be like, mm. God, this guy thinks I suck. Like he's literally <laughs> taking a nap while I'm playing. And I was so focused on the music and just really enjoying myself and enjoying the music. And so I, I, it's cool to go to shows sometimes as someone who's not playing and, you know, kind of get that perspective. It's interesting you say that because I feel like a lot of people I know that tour for the most part, unless it's like some kind of either like friends you're going to see that like happen to be in town with you or on an off day or, your like bucket list band of like, I always have wanted to see this band or I love seeing this band and I don't miss them when I, when I get the opportunity to by and large, I feel like a lot of touring musicians fall out of love of going to see live music because it's, it's so much of what they do that I feel like it's the last thing they want to do in their spare totally. time. Yeah. I, I think that happens so naturally to people a lot of times, you know I mean? And I, and I've gone through phases to where it's like, I can't be bothered going to, a bar to hear a band right now because mm. a lot of times when you're there, you're thinking, I gotta, I, I, I'm about to have to do it. I, and like, I'll get, I'll get psyched up going to a show and then I'll have to like really tell myself, you're not, you don't have to do anything. You just have to stand here and listen. They're, they're the ones working. You don't have to, <laughs> you know, because I get so psyched up before shakedown shows. Like I have to kind of, I always like kind of psych myself up like I'm going to have to fight someone, you know, when I'm not, it's all, it's all good, you know, but, um, it's, there's certain, there's a certain adrenaline that you get whenever the intro music starts playing and the lights go down. And that's always my favorite part of a show. And I'll go to, a, I'll go to a concert just to see how a band walks on, you know, like, mm. um, but yeah, I, I love going in here and music and, and I love, especially if, if my friends are around and, it's still my favorite thing to do with my friends is to go experience a concert together and laugh and, you know, all have, have a good time. It's funny. Uh, Cause I, I've been starting to work more behind the scenes with a friend's band that I've known for like 20 years at this point. Um, and they're just kind of now starting to get some like actual momentum, which is kind of weird because it's, it's such an anomaly to be, you know, 20 years in and, you know, they're, they're still a quote unquote local band, even though they tour quite a bit uh, around right. the States and so forth and uh, have gotten on some decent tours in the last couple of years. But it's one of those things where it's funny because on the business side of stuff, you know, we we've talked to some, some pretty big people like, you know, Rob Blasco, that Ozzy's bass player that does a lot of management and so forth. You know, and I had hit my friend up and be like, shop your stuff to Blasco, see what he says. He's on, on the pulse of a lot of this stuff. Uh, from a behind the scenes thing. And it was interesting to see so many people being like, don't mention how long you've been doing this. Don't mention your old band name. Don't, don't do all these things. And it's kind of one of those where you're like, but isn't it a badge of honor to be like, I've been around 20 years and I'm still fucking here. Yeah. And we're still putting out arguably the best music we are. We're enjoying the, the most success we have that I feel like that's actually a, a great talking point. But 
And the reason I bring this up was because it's been interesting to kind of traverse more of the behind the scenes stuff and trying to figure out a band that has so many different influences. Like, where do you fit in? How do you, how do you find the right spots for these guys? And in listening to your music and having been aware of it, because I know you've toured around here pretty a lot in the last couple of years and I've seen your name and you, like I said, being a kind of a musician's town, you get brought up in the same breath as when people talk about like rival sons or something like that. You know, the resurgence of kind of the old right. kind of classic, classic hard rock that, you know, like I grew up when my parents were listening to. And it's interesting to kind of see peripherally. I feel like the same thing kind of happening possibly with you where it's like, you're a little bit of everything, but you're not any one thing. And I wonder if it's been hard for you to have and traverse your career to where you're finally able to start seeing some success because now you're just able to kind of people just know like you are what you are and I can put you wherever and, and you'll find a way as you were saying earlier. And I almost cut you off to say it, but you said you kind of feel like you're, you're going to fight. You got to get ready for yeah. a fight when you're getting ready to go onto these shows. And I wonder how much of that is because you've had to earn your spot and fight for your spot in front of crowds that maybe didn't think you belong there. Oh man. Well, I mean, I, I moved to Nashville when I was 17 and this, this mm. city is like, it's a, it's a master at putting people into boxes. It's like, okay, here's your lane. Here are the, you know, the walls and you, you bounce around as much as you want, but just don't go outside these walls. <laughs> and, um, that's never been what the shakedown's about. Like we're, we love rock and roll. We love hard rock. We love blues. We love traditional blues. Like we, have studied the history and the heritage and the tradition of it. And um, we love all of these things, but like just because I love Soundgarden is one of my favorite bands, just because like Soundgarden is one of my favorite bands and Muddy Waters is one of my favorite bands. Doesn't mean I have to just do one of those things, you know? And, and, and the thing that I love is so much of rock and roll, even modern rock and roll came from the tradition of the blues. And, and that's like one of the first, original American art forms that we had. And so I, I just, I'm always like, I use rock and roll as an opportunity to like show people who maybe had never heard of lightning Hopkins, one of those riffs or something. And, and, and it's just because I'm excited about it. And that's really the, the thing that I've tried to keep alive in myself over the years is my own excitement and joy towards music. Because once you start getting put into lanes where you're like, okay, this is what I am. This is what I can monetize. This is, how I'm sold to people, then you, then all of a sudden it's like the, the business side of things can outweigh the music side so easily. And I think I've always been really aware of trying to protect that like little kid that I feel like is, mm. is alive in me going, come on, dude, just do what feels right. Do what makes you happy. And um, we've been lucky to find an audience over the years that is down to go on the journey with us. And it, we've certainly had to fight for it. It's been like, you know, kind of hard earned, um, you know, playing, playing a club for five people going back, playing the same club for 10, you know, getting, you know, we, we sell a hundred tickets and, and it, it would feel like selling out Madison square garden because we knew how hard we had to work for those hundred tickets. Um, and that's never been, it's, we've never been afraid of that. Has it, has it been discouraging at times? Of course, you know, of course, but it's, it always has to come back to the music and the thing that drives you. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for our journey and our, you know, hard to pin down <laughs> way of doing things. <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause like I hadn't been to Nashville in oh, fuck probably 
well, okay, real easy math, actually. Uh, it's the funny thing when you get married, you're like, oh, I can't remember like time before my my marriage or I started dating so-and-so and you're trying to like think like how long ago it was and you're like, idiot, just think about how long you've been with your wife and you're like, okay, now go back a little bit further than that and you should kind of get a, yeah. a rough timeline. But, uh, you know, I probably hadn't been to Nashville in probably, shit, probably almost 20 years um, and went for the first time uh, this earlier this year with my, my wife and a friend of ours and it was so crazy because like I like and we kind of just stayed and went on the strip basically because it was easier. And then we went and stayed over uh, where we went to. And I just went to Red Door Saloon like every single day. <laughs> okay. Um, but it was it was kind of interesting to go and to go to all the different bars and to see just the amount of people like the amount of musicians playing. The, the talent was just endless. Like, yeah, it was over. It was so overwhelming. And I remember like we were at Kid Rock's bar and there was a, a band playing and they're kind of more more rock than I was I was expecting to see even at a Kid Rock bar. And it was crazy to talk to them and to and even some of the other people I went to, I think at uh, Tootsie's, I think was one of the name of the bar, uh, the purple bar um, and was just like talking to some of these people and they're like, oh, I'm a studio musician. I've worked on da 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 da. And you're just like fuck man and you're like you're still doing this too like and it yeah. really gave me a different perspective on that you can like do different things as a musician like yeah you can be a studio musician and, and make a living and have a great living but sometimes you want to go out and just fucking play with people and have a good time jamming songs and it really oh. kind of made me reevaluate the idea of like well there's i mean there's a lot of money to be made in being a cover band honestly um but yeah. it's also a thing where I think people kind of forget the thing that makes them excited and where they found the love of music was going back and playing some of these songs and, and kind of connecting with the crowd immediately without having to kind of quote unquote earn it. Yeah. And what's been interesting kind of thinking about that and knowing that you would move to, to Tennessee and Nashville specifically was kind of going through some of your socials. Like you do things in such a way that, and it may be like your media team. I don't know. Um, but I feel like there's such little like pieces of you sprinkled throughout everything you do. Like, I love that you have like videos of you almost busking to a degree of like playing in a tunnel. You have like, here's yeah. so many live videos of you guys playing over the years, which I think is great because people want to see what they're going to see before they spend their money on a show. Yeah. But I love that. Like, uh, and I'm going to blank on the name. I think it's like, uh, weeping and weeping and we can weeping. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little thing on the video where you're like, so Graham fucking was playing this riff any chance he could get, had it for years, da 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 da. We finally, finally said fuck it and made it a song. Here it is. And I'm so glad we did. Like, I love that there's like little things like that that you do where I feel like it gives more of you in such a, such a weird little way that I don't know if that's you doing it. I don't know if, like, yeah, I don't no, know, it's, all, like, it's all us. There's no, there's no media team. We tried, okay. we tried to hire someone to do our social media for us at one point in our career and it, and we just, we're so opinionated that we were like, that's not right. <laughs> you know? And so it's, you know, but this, the music is, is very much like who we are. And, you know, even if it, if that changes, whenever we release an album or a song, it's who we are in that moment, you know? And I, I like to think about records as being like musical snapshots, you know, and we've made so many great memories. Like I think about, there was this one time we were in Paris, France hmm. and I, w I went and did a radio interview and they were telling me that it was like Fete de la Music, which is their music day. And all of the buskers come out and I was like, well, shit, let's go busk. Let's do it. And so we sent out like a tweet, like we're going to meet you guys outside of 
the Dr. Feelgood bar. And then like people showed up and they, we had like a little concert on the street and it was, if nothing else for our own enjoyment and just to make a memory. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that we enjoy doing outside of doing it for a living, you know? So I always tell <laughs> fans, it's like, we would, we would do this if we didn't get paid to do it. And we're, I feel very lucky that we do get paid to do it, you know, every now and then. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun to just be, you know, have an outlet to be yourself and to share music and, meet people I, you know i mean it's like i i uh I, I heard an artist say one time you know what makes you feel like a rock star the most is is having friends everywhere you go mm. and i've and i've used music to make friends all over the world you know like i know a lot of shakedown fans by name and th- a lot of them i don't know by name but i see their face you know up on a barrier at a show and then i'll see them like eight hours later you know, in the next city. And it's like, these are my people, you know, and I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I think there's, it's really interesting. I've had that same experience and I didn't really think about it until like we went to like thinking about all the friends I've made through the doing this through uh friends who tour and so forth. And it's really funny because I, I've always said, you don't necessarily want to get to know the bands. The people you really want to get to know if you want to network are all the behind the scenes people. So like your techs, your your TMs, your you know, front of house people, all that. Like those are the people who then hop from tour to tour to tour if they're not just stuck with one person. But it was yeah. funny, like going to meet a friend out in Oregon who lives there, and I I'd never been to uh Portland. And then within 40 minutes of us landing, I hopped on Facebook, saw that a friend of mine was in town, and I was like, Yo, what the fuck are you doing? You want to hang out? And he goes, Oh, well, we're playing a show. Like, we're, I'm at a show that you know the band I'm TMing is playing. Do you want to come? And I was like, Well, it's not just me and my wife. It's like a couple of us. He goes, I didn't ask that. I said, Do you want to come? And I said, Sure. Looked up at everyone. I was like, Guys, want to go to this show at wherever the hell this place is? And they're like, Yeah, okay. Like, how do you how do you know that someone's here? And I was like, Or how do you know someone here? And I go, It's kind of the world of touring, really. Is like once you kind of start knowing people you'll run into people anywhere. And it's crazy to see how small the world really is when you kind of start getting connected like that with people. Dude, I know it's, it's funny. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned rival sons earlier and um, like those guys have been homies of mine for, for years. We've been, you know, longtime friends and like Jay lived in Nashville for a while, the lead singer. And I never, never really hung out with him in Nashville. Went, you know, a few times, but we'd see each other. It'd be like, here we are in Germany and here we are in wherever it's like, we'd hang out all over the world just because it is a small world. And, and uh, I mean, same thing with my wife, my wife is a, a touring musician in a band called Larkin Poe. And um, there was one like in 2016, we were out with ACDC. We played Belgium. I got off stage in Belgium, gotten in like an Uber, took it to a McDonald's where <laughs> she met me in an Uber and we rode like, we just met the McDonald's was just the, the meeting location. And then we rode to where their bus was and we took their bus to Amsterdam where we were both, both happened to be playing that n- the next night, you know? And it's like, just like small stuff like that, where you go, this world isn't that big. Do, do you, are you one of those people that feels like those things aren't coincidences that they're actually somehow tied to a bigger, a bigger thing? Um, yeah, I would say that I think that that sometimes there's this um, there's this poem called 
uh, Desi Dorada that there's this there's this guy named Eloy that used to pick me up um, on Wednesday nights and take me over to his house and he had the biggest record collection you'd ever seen and 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 I would just get to pull vinyl off the wall and he had this poem up on the wall and one of the lines in it uh, I probably won't quote this exactly right but it was like whether whether you know it or not the universe is unfolding as it should mm. or whether it whether it may it's apparent to you or not the universe is unfolding as it should and i think about that a lot like whenever you know things like that happen and you find yourself you know like if i find myself in the same city as my wife or a you know a like the, there was one time that rival sons and and the shakedown were checking into a hotel in san francisco at the same time we didn't even know each other were there you know, and it was like, hey, dudes, what's up? And the same thing has happened with so many of our friends in this industry. And, you know, I mean, I think about when I was 15 years old, hearing uh, a bunch of noise outside of the hotel I was staying in in Los Angeles. And I looked out the keyhole and it was Jeff Beck. Oh, shit. And I and Jeff Beck's my favorite guitar player. And I'm, I look out the keyhole and I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's Jeff Beck, dude. It's Jeff Beck. Holy shit. So I immediately go to my bed, put my headphones in and listen to the guitar shop record. And I was just like, this is so cool. Jeff Beck is in the next room. Holy shit. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then like years down the road, I get to tour with Jeff and I told him, I was like, dude, I was freaking out when I was a kid. Cause you were in the room next to me. And he was like, that's weird, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think like, it's funny. I was talking, um, with uh tanner from the drummer from in flames a couple probably about two months ago at this point and i was talking about how at times this podcast has kind of made me lose the fandom of of listening to music like listening to new music i'll really say but listening to music as a whole because i felt like because when the show started it was more of the 20 minute press junket thing like and everything I was listening to, I'm like, okay, what's the hook? What's the angle I got that no one else sees that I can use to talk to someone and when you start doing that, it makes makes music listening not enjoyable because you're like, this is work. I don't, I'm not listening to this because I want to or I enjoy it. I'm listening to it because it's work and I have to find something in it that no one else is going to find very quickly. And I was talking about how I, I kind of lost my fandom of music. And he was like, and I go, even doing this, I feel like I have to like kind of tamp it down. Like if I'm, if there's someone I'm really excited to talk to, I can't really show it because it's like, well, yeah. then it's awkward and weird. Sort of like Jeff Beck said, oh, that was weird. Um, <laughs> but it is one of those things that I think as I'm getting older and just kind of losing the like the, I don't care anymore. I like, I think that's, that's been one of the biggest things as I've gotten older and like just, I just turned 38 like a month ago where I'm like, as I get older, I just care less about things or how people perceive me. Cause it's like, dude, I, I agree with you hundred percent there. I think that's one of the coolest things about, about aging is you can, you can start to identify your own ego, you know? And, and then you can just go, Oh yeah, hold on you don't deserve take to take up this much space. You know, I, I used to like, <laughs> I used to want people to think that, that we toured in like the nicest tour buses and stuff. And like, we were that, you know, that touring was this glamorous thing. And then it was like kind of what you were talking about with your friends band. It's like, it became a badge of honor to go. We have destroyed so many vans, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm kind of thinking about like, man, my dad worked at a factory for 37 years and I've, I've worked on the highway and this is like something that I've, I've really put my time and energy into and, and actually just owning some of the things that you, 
that you hide in your youth. That's mm -hmm. one thing that I've appreciated about getting older is just like going, no, this is my story. And yeah, it may not be um, as glamorous as some stories, but it's mine, you know, and just telling your own story, you know. Is there a is there a van story or a day from being in the vans? Because I feel like as much as everyone's like, I would never want to go back to vans. They're cramped. They stink. It's it's whatever. But it's I do awful. feel like, yeah, I do feel like there is a sense of maybe once you've gotten a little bit away from it, a romanticism about it when you look back on it. Oh, is there well, something? We, no, no, no. We have, have so many. We have so many van stories of like. You know, I mean, one that pops out is we we blew a tire on the George Washington Bridge in New York City in rush right. hour. You know, with a huge trailer in the van, there's like nowhere to really pull off. You're just pissing everyone off. <laughs> you know, that was awful. We we go through tires like we just chew them up and spit them out. But there was a there was one time in particular we were driving through Elkton, Maryland, and. I I just started my driving shift. We're driving home. We just finished a tour with this band, the Sheepdogs. I was so excited to go home. I I I started driving. Um, Graham, the other guitarist, is in the passenger seat. He turns on the Black Crows. We're listening. It's a sunny day, and then I'm like, man, this is weird. It keeps slowing down. You know, mm. I'm going seventy, but keep dropping down to like twenty miles an hour, and it it wasn't going. So the transmission was completely shot. Of course, that only happens on a Saturday night, you know. So Sunday, you're you're gonna be sitting there because no one no one can fix it. Um, so yeah, and I saw I saw someone have a like a a drug induced seizure in the hotel mm. lobby because we we got like one hotel room, of course, because we wanted to try and save our money. And so I'm living in the hotel lobby essentially, and like it just crazy stuff like that. There was one time we took a we rented a Winnebago early on mm -hmm. in the shakedown and dude i thought i thought we were like just the cock of the walk you know like it was like a bus it's like this is like a bus dude that's how i felt a winnebago is not a bus it no. is not a bus <laughs> it's 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 awful um <laughs> if you think if you think it's a good idea to drive a, a winnebago from austin to vancouver it's not, it's not a good idea. So we get two, two hours outside of Austin, maybe three hours, a hawk flies through the windshield, like a hawk <laughs> disintegrate flies through the windshield. Driver is super freaked out. Um, couldn't get the windshield repaired for a few days. So it sets us back. We finally get to Canada. The roof blows off of the Winnebago. So it's like, we, we weren't looking at the sun or anything, but the whole lining of the roof flew off. So now we're, it's flapping. So we have to get up there with like box cutters and cut it off. And uh, we ended up going getting like deck stain or something and putting on top of the roof because it was raining and we didn't want the wood to rot. And then us to get in, we knew we were going to have to pay like a tremendous amount of money for this Winnebago and all of the damages and stuff, but just stuff like that. When I look back on it, it felt like the end of the world at the moment in the moment. And now I'm like, these stories are mine. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, it's it's funny because I feel like, you know, like, again, kind of going back to like, I don't think people understand. There's the perception of, you know, there was that meme for a while. What people think I do, what I actually do, what my parents think I do, my girlfriend, da, da, da. And it was like yeah, all yeah. these, 
non-realistic things. And then it literally, the thing that I do was just like, I'm sitting in a green room on my phone doing nothing. Um, (laughs) And it's funny because like even doing this at times, like when doing more in live in person things before shows was kind of how the show existed. It was always interesting because like sometimes you'd go do these on on buses and whatever and people are like, what's it like? And I'm like, it's like being in a studio apartment where eight people live, maybe 12. Yeah. And you just feel like you're in everyone's way at any moment. I was like, it's not great. And I don't like it. I, I personally, unless like you get to, and this sounds braggy, but like you get to the point where like there's the band bus, the crew bus and whatever, or production bus where everyone kind of has more room to be spread out. And then you don't quite feel that way, but you still feel like you're like, there's not a whole lot of room to do anything here. I'd I'd almost rather be anywhere hanging out than on a bus because it's not enjoyable or comfortable. Uh, And like I said, it just feels like you're impeding on people's space, but it is weird to see how people still have this perception that it's like, Oh, the bus is where I want to be. And it's like, no, it's not, (laughs) it's really not. Yeah. And of course I can see that from your perspective too. Like, you know, you're on there doing your thing. And then there's like, there's always going to be that one crusty crew guy that walks on and is just like, Oh God, you know? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's something, um, you know, I think the, the thing that is interesting to me kind of in thinking about, you know, kind of your career as well is, you know, you kind of have already talked about, and I know you've talked about this to death, so I'm not going the obvious route with this, but, you know, getting to play with a lot of, you know, your heroes and a lot of bands that have such a, a long lasting career careers and long lasting, long lasting impact on music as a whole. And I'm one of those people that, you know, when I'm put into those positions where people I think have more knowledge than me, you know, I, I want to gleam as much as I can from them and, and I want to learn. Are you one of those people that when you get to, to, have the opportunity to play and, and get to become friends with some of these people or the touring opportunities you've had. Are you the same kind of person or are you more, I'll just kind of wait until maybe an invite to hang out with someone comes about. Um, well, I, I certainly use them, use the opportunities to learn. Like when I was out with Jeff Beck, I never, I never missed a sound check that, that mm. I could attend. Like if I was, if I could physically be there, I would watch sound check every day. I'd watch the whole show. And just because i I I was very aware of how cool it was and that I would probably not get that opportunity again. Um, but I would, I wouldn't go knock on his dressing room door. I waited until I got invited because, you know, some, sometimes you just don't know how it's going to go. Or like if, if that, if you're really, you know, everyone has their own different process, you know, like I, I remember we were out on the ACDC tour whenever Axl Rose started singing and, and, uh, and we would see Axel, you know, get driven by on a golf cart and he would be like, give us like one of those or something, you know. And uh, finally, his one of his kind of people said, you ought to go talk to Axel. Like he, you know, just knock on his green room door. And I was like, really? <laughs> I think that would like not be cool, you know. And so one night it was like kind of cracked open. It was just like, hey, dude, just wanted to say what's up. And was super cool, you know, so it just depends. We kind of, with the shakedown, we like to fly comfortably under the radar. Mm. That seems to be the the way that we've been asked to get us asked back, you know, on tours and stuff is to just show up, do your job, do it to the best of your ability, be nice to people, be nice to the people in catering, be nice to the crew, say thank you, be on time, make sure your shit works, and then rock out and leave, get out of the way. 
And so we, we try to do that, but we've been very fortunate to get to meet so many of our heroes and I've gotten advice from Angus Young and gotten advice from Slash and Jeff Beck. And the best advice is just to watch the show and, and watch and see what works, you know? When you say what works, what is what does that mean to you? Because I feel like me personally, I could take that in from a multiple multitude of different ways. What does well, I mean? I've, it's like what what's getting the crowd going, you know, which is a, a million different things. You're right. Like, you know, somebody's throwing their beer up in the air and spilling it on themselves because they're like, I, I played this song the day I left that, you know, lion sack shit, you know, whatever. And and someone's like this song was played at my wedding or someone I, I, this is the first song I ever heard whenever I got my driver's license or whatever. Um, but just paying attention to the, the musical moments, the, um, the songwriting elements that are creating the musical moments, creating the, the magic moments in a show for, for an artist like Jeff Beck, it's, you know, watching how he directs a band, watching how he uses dynamics and uses, space and and uh because like one thing i learned from watching jeff was you can say almost as much with not playing anything as you can playing something you know and using space to create dynamics so whenever you do that thing that people are waiting for it's more impactful than it would have been if you were just doing a bunch of stuff leading up to it it's funny i'm reminded and i'm (laughs) trading quotes that we may get wrong uh, I think it was Keith Richards was playing somewhere with a bunch of different guitarists and everyone's just up there shredding. And then it's like, you know, they're all playing a bunch of notes doing all this. And he just plays like one note for like two minutes. Yeah. And then someone was like, well, what made you do that? And he was like, well, if they're all playing a bunch of notes pretty well, I'm going to play the one note really well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to make me stand out versus everyone else. Cause like I'm doing something different than everybody else is, but we're all doing, we're all speaking the same language. We're just kind of talking differently. And I thought yeah. it was, because that's again that's the thing i kind of love about music musicians and so forth is we all have the same same tools but we all speak differently we all have different voices and and it's interesting when you know you can start getting a sense of who someone is just by like hearing them not even seeing what they're playing but like you know some of these players like you're talking about like a jeff beck or slash or even you know uh guys like zz top or any of these other like more classic rock people it's like they have tone that's identifiable to them yeah and it's one of those things where you know i as you can see some of the stuff behind me but it's like i for the longest time was like i don't ever want to get into like pedals and choosing heads and cabs i'd rather just get like an all-in-one thing and then it's whatever because when you start having to figure out what kind of pickups do you like what kind of bodies like style bodies of guitars or whatever and the 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 heads and the cabs and everything it's like you have to painstakingly kind of find you in all yeah, of that. No, it's true. And to me, I love the idea of just being like, I plug in and it sounds good and I don't got to do nothing to it. Like there's no work there. And I think that's kind of the thing maybe that with, you know, Kempers and things like that, it's like, now we can sound like anybody. We can sound like anything, yeah. like just at the, you know, downloading a tone, tone. Uh, yeah, I know. But it's the thing is like, if you and I picked up the same rig, we would, you would still sound like you and I would still sound like me, you know, playing through the same exact thing. And that's, what's so cool about it is, you know, I mean, the gear, the gear only matters to a certain extent. And then it's like, what does the person with the guitar make of it? You know, 
it's like there's this Chet Atkins story where someone tells Chet, they're like, man, that guitar sounds amazing. And he leans it up on the wall and goes, how's it sound now? <laughs> and I love, I love that story. I, it's funny. I like growing up, like sometimes I go Jay with my dad and it's so funny. Cause I could tell in his guitar playing where he was at, at the time, he didn't really have much knowledge of stuff. And so like, I'd go to play and he'd be on drums. He's like, play something like so-and-so. And I'm like, you know how hard it is just to be like, cool. I got a John for Shante riff. No, no problem. Hold on. Let me pull this out. Like, no, yeah. I don't like most people. You can't just go play something like blank. And you're like, Oh, okay. I got it. Like, yeah, that's, that's very unnatural to do to someone and, and kind of have them use a voice. That's not their own. Um, right. But it, it was, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause I feel like that's something when listening to you guys is I feel like there is, I feel like you have your own sound, your own voice, but it's it's not in the same sense of like in a playing style. I feel like it's it's the feel. Um, that's the only way I've been able to really articulate it over the last couple of days of really kind of digging back through the back catalog and going through the new record that you guys just put right. out is I feel like when I hear it, I'm like, here it is. Like best way I can say it is it. I feel like you your tone, your voice is as a songwriter. Like I feel like when I hear something, regardless of what instrument you're playing, I'm like, that's you because cool. it comes across and how you're the presentation of everything, man. Th well, thanks for saying that. I do. Um, I do consider myself to be a songwriter more than anything. You know, I'm, I'm clearly a guitar nerd and that's very apparent, you know, if, if anyone knows anything about us, but I moved to Nashville to be a songwriter and, you know, I was a staff mm. writer for Sony ATV for like eight years. Then I had a couple other publishing deals and, um, and, I went through the whole like music music row, like show up and write with strangers every day, you know, try to get stuff cut, try to get stuff in television commercials and like had a few, a few, uh, you know, swings that connected. And, but really the thing that I learned was I just like making up songs. I like to mm -hmm. tell stories through songs. And then uh, the shakedown has its, has its thing that we've sort of developed as a team, as a band with the other guys. And, uh, you know, sure, there's an outlet in there for the guitar playing to come through. But I think really with the new record, too, we tried not to be like to uh, we try not to pat ourselves on the back too much with all the guitar playing and just let the guitar playing support the songs. Like I'm a huge Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan and I always love that Mike Campbell never he was never not supporting the song, you know, right. and that. I think that tick that's where what's kind of separates the men from the boys. A lot of times is like, just because you have the tricks doesn't mean you have to show the tricks, you know? And then whenever you do finally show one, it's going to mean more, you know? Yeah. So, well, I mean, I think it goes back to what you're saying sort of about, you know, watching and, you know, seeing someone like Jeff Beck. I, th I think it was who you were saying when you were on tour with when you noticed it's like, sometimes it's what you're not doing. It's, it's letting there be space and letting there be room so the moment when something is happening, it's more impactful because you kind of allow there to be a little brevity before you just kind of come in with something. And yeah, it's funny because like this show is predominantly a, a metal podcast. And I, and I think it's why I kind of went to more of this form of just talking versus talking about the music itself. Because if I kept doing that, then it's like, okay, I can only talk about, all right, your polyrhythms and your syncopated, you know, really tight right hand or left hand, whatever, you know, handed guitar player you are. 
that it's like metal is kind of limiting and you kind of have to follow a formula to a degree. But it's like if I start talking about the real parts of, of who you are and how those things come out of you, I think those are timeless and, and make are more interesting stories to me because then it's it's almost sort of like now you're really seeing the songwriting start to come through in the stories of like, oh, I was working on this. Like, you know, what I was saying with uh, the song that I saw where I love that you wrote, like Graham had this fucking guitar riff for like forever. And we were just like, yeah, we get it. Now it's a song and now you enjoy playing yeah. it. And it's a fun song. And it yeah. seems like at least on that tour, that was maybe like the closing song. So it was like yeah, it yeah. had a place. And yeah. to me, it's like I could have asked you about that song and what it was like writing it. And you could have just very quickly been like, uh, you know, it was a sound rehearsal riff and you had it for a little bit and we're good, but it's like yeah. to see it tied to literally seeing it live and the energy and all that kind of stuff. And then here's just like a little footnote that if you happen to be looking at that, it's like, Oh, that's really cool. But it's more, I think it tells more of the story of the song than me straight up asking you about the song. Yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's, you know, and each song kind of has its own little story of like, you know, how, like how things happen sometimes it just blows me away. You know, it's sort of like back to the, whether it's apparent to you or not, the universe is unfolding as it should, you know, like I, like one of our most popular songs is this song called the wayside, which we consider ourselves a rock band first and foremost. This is the most chill song we've ever released. It's like, and of course it's the most popular one. And the song was written on a mandolin. Hmm. I was playing mandolin because I'd been listening to a bunch of Tom Waits. And then I have some friends over. We're having a cookout. We're having a party. And I, I pulled out my saxophone that I had from high school marching band just to get a laugh out of my friends. And next thing you know, we're like recording this song and I'm playing the damn saxophone on it. And we and we did this whole like cabaret, like tip of the hat to Tom Waits recording just for our own personal enjoyment. We like never even thought for a million years that it would be a shakedown song. And then, like, I sent the demo to uh, the other guys in the band, like, like as a joke. And they're like, this is actually pretty, feels like a cool song. So we just did away with all of the mandolin and stuff and played it like a rock band. And then it kind of helped push us. And I think for me, it's, and this goes back to not putting yourself in a box. It's like allowing moments to happen, you know, allowing yourself to, you know, I hell, dude, I've I've made up metal songs before just because I like listening to metal. And I'm like, well, could I do it? Could I do it? Could I write a metal song? And then just made it up for fun. And then you end up learning something that yeah. you can apply to the thing that you actually do or writing a classic country song. You know, like what would what would what would it be like to write a George Jones song, you know, and then figuring out how to do it. And you're working a different muscle and just kind of. I don't know. I, I just love making music and th th there's not a right or wrong way to do it, but there's so many ways to do it. And that's why it's so exciting to me. Today's beer minute is brought to you by starving artist brewery who share a simple belief. You should judge beer and not people. Today's beer is from weathered souls out of San Antonio, Texas. It's their darker, the berry blackberry kettle sour with blackberry puree. Coming in at 5.5%, this light-bodied beer packs quite the tart punch. With a strong burst of sour blackberry dancing on your tongue, this one will keep you coming back for more. Thanks to Starving Artists Brewing, who remind you to support your starving artists. And please, always drink responsibly. And now, back to the show. Well, I think the other thing, too, is I feel like if you are 
and like I try to stress this quite a bit, you know, because sometimes I'll get called out and people are like, oh, you you seem to really love hip hop. You seem to love R&B. You seem to love anything but metal. And I go, you can't you can't just like one thing because I feel like if you do, that's just so limiting and like, ah, but like, yeah, dude, I can't tell you every night. Eventually, you're going to want beef, you know, and I was going to and I said, like, I remember at one point talking to someone and I was like, man, I'm really hearing some like. Some like R and B, like I think I use TLC as the instance. I was like, I'm really hearing like some really great like '90s style like TLC, like that R and B era of like three part vocal harmonies. You got a lower, middle, higher. The higher one, you're not like just like some of these things I notice when I listen to some of this stuff. And then like they're like, oh yeah, I was listening to a lot of that. And it's like, yeah, that's the fun part when you can kind of connect with someone. And it's like I can't do that if I'm like, okay, so all I listen to is death metal. So I blinders on and anything like, but I mean, then I'm, mean, I'm sure there's something in death metal that people are like, Oh, I was in, inspired by or early Nor Norwegian folk or something like, yeah. Like I got, I went to go see uh, Rod Stewart okay. uh, a couple months ago and I love Rod Stewart group on Rod Stewart. And I got a lot of looks of like, why the fuck are you here? And like, yeah. I probably didn't know anything. And it was really interesting because I'd never seen him live and you know, he's got a live band and they're really good. But it was so interesting because, you know, in recent years, it seems like he's very much like I'm I'm a Celtic, you know, like embracing that side of himself. And, I'm, and I was kind of like, I don't really hear any of that in your music. Like you have it on all your stuff and, and it seems to be kind of a new branding or something. And then as I'm sitting in the crowd, what listening to like all these songs I knew, like Forever Young, obviously Mandolin, uh, Mandolin Wind and stuff like that. I'm noticing so much of how it's rooted in like Celtic folk music, like down yeah. to the arrangements, how it's being played. And even some of the big, like more eighties style, like electronic hits he had still had it when you're looking at the live uh, instrumentation of it. And I was like, how the fuck did I never ever put that together until I'm literally yeah. right now? Like, how have I never noticed this? And it gave me a new appreciation, a new appreciation for him, him and his music and this catalog that I've known for so long. But again, like it's one of those where I, I feel bad for people who like don't want to go on that journey and don't want to explore and kind of have those revelations where 30 some odd years of listening to something, you're like, oh, my God, I'd never realized this connection to this whole other facet of you that you're putting into your music and you're incorporating in a way that I never noticed. Like it's right. so cool when you have to me, when you find those moments in, in music. Yeah, dude, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, I listen to records sometimes and I love that. I love listening to a record that I've heard a hundred times and finding something new in it. Mm. Like I never realized that was over there. Like, hold on, listen to, listen to the left speaker, dude, play it back. Never heard that before, you know? And it's, it's cool. Whenever the, the thing that you're into keeps unfolding and, you know, you realize it's a little bit more than you thought. I I was just talking about this uh, in the episode I just posted this week because uh, I've talked about taking psychedelics and stuff like that. And usually everything's like, oh, it was really great. I revealed this about, you know, something about myself or my life or whatever. And then so just to kind of counteract it, because the, the conversation I had with the, this guitar player was kind of about taking music in, in different ways, you know driving at night in a car, you know, listening to it on a stereo system, you know, you know, being in a bar live show, whatever you can hear the same thing. And because of the environment you're listening to it and it can give you a completely different uh, set of experiences. And, and it's one of the few things I can think of where that can happen. 
Um, And so in the the, the end of the episode, I was like, you know, I always talk about how great, you know, my trips are and stuff like that. I go the other day I was, I took too much edibles and they kicked in a lot faster than I thought they were going to. And then I became really, really self-aware where I'm like, I don't think I'm moving enough to be like in a bar with people where I'm like, people are probably staring at me like, what the fuck's wrong with that guy? And then I'm like thinking about things way too much. But I was like, I guess even to bring it back to music, I was in the car and Wonderful Tonight was on. And my wife looked at me and she was like, are you okay? You're going to throw up? And I was like, no. And then I'm in my head going like, am I going to throw up? Do I need to? I don't know. And then like I'm that far into it. But Wonderful Tonight was on and I never noticed just how perfectly that like kind of splash symbol hits. It's just like one little hit. And I was like, how have I never noticed that? Is it has it always been there? Or is this just like some weird like remastered version of this song that I'm just now hearing this version? But like it's so perfectly it's so perfectly recorded and it just fits. Like it could have been anything else, or what if it wasn't there? Dude, but I was so like funny. I was like, but how weird that I'm just latching on to, like, as you were saying, like, oh, in the left ear, I hear this. It's like, how yeah. fucking weird. I'm listening to Wonderful tonight, and I'm just like, that symbol hits so, it feels so good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm most trying to people think, think about a song like that, too, and I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mess this up, probably. I, I want to say it's like Love in an Elevator or something. There's, there's one Aerosmith song where there's a triangle that I never noticed. It's like someone hitting a oh, triangle. Oh, at the end, the end of the song, where the, like, when he's riding, the, like, isn't it at the end when, uh, Joey's riding like the the bell of the symbol toward the end. I'm talking like, this is an actual triangle, like the dude holding the thing on the on the string, oh. and it happens like three times. I've I've I'll I'll have to pinpoint it at some point after this because I'm going to think about it now. But when I heard that, <laughs> I was like, I couldn't hear anything but that triangle. You know, there's a producer. I think his name is Joe Barassi. I think is his okay. name. Uh, he worked with one of my favorite bands, uh, Every Time I Die. And he, in the making of the the album, he was talking about how he always hides a triangle hit somewhere in the record. He doesn't tell the band. He just puts it somewhere in the record. But he's done it on everything he's done. And I, I've i never found it on that record. And I don't, I mean, it could just be a bullshit lie that he says just to, so people like constantly go back and are like, I found it. Um, yeah. But it's like one of those weird things that I, I think that's also a fun thing about music sometimes is you know, things that people will do where they're just like, Oh, here's like my little trick. I throw into everything I do. I used to, uh, I used to do something when I would send demos out or like send recordings to just because I, I never really trusted anyone. So I would, <laughs> I would have like, um, I would have a recording that was pretty much finished. And then I would put random, like I learned this from a friend, actually I'd put like chickens over the track, like throughout, so that like a label couldn't release, they couldn't get it mastered if for some somehow we had like an a misunderstanding, <laughs> and, and they were like, we're just gonna get this mastered and put it out. It'd be like, nope, because it, there's five different box in there, and it'd be like, oh god, you know, right when the hook hits or whatever. Reminds me of when uh compilation CDs used to come out back back in the day. And I remember getting some from labels and like seemingly around like the bridge, if it wasn't, didn't have vocals, you'd always have like some person coming over the middle of it. Like this is you're you're enjoying blah, blah, blah. Like the one I remember, it was soil work. And they're like, this is soil work, stabbing the drama. The record comes out on this day. Da, da, da. And then it's like, it leaves. And then the song kicks back in. I'm like, that's like kind of shitty that you're ruining the song by like throwing this thing in, but also like great. Cause then it's like, obviously you can't, 
share it or whatever. You can't release it anywhere other than on this promotional out single. So but funny. So weird how like things were doing that. I was just talking with uh, a friend and he's been like, we've been going back and forth because he's not on a label anymore. He's like way in the pros and cons of signing, re-signing with the label he's on. And he's like, it's good money. It's like money from like way back in the day, like when records actually sold kind of money. Yeah. And he goes, but I don't know if I want to be on a label anymore. And we were talking about things. He's like, you know, I just feel like no one buys records. And how do you like asking me? He was like, I mean, you're kind of involved in this and you buy stuff. Like what is, what is the way around all this where people have to buy something and, and you know, it's tangible and it's, it's worth something again. And I was like, you know, the only thing I, I feel like, cause he's like, is it only pressing physical media and selling it on tours? And I was like, no, cause then you're limiting who can hear it. Like you can't neglect digital at this point. You just can't. And I go, but I feel like there needs to be this thing because I was reading this book uh, about the Wu-Tang Clan writing the record that they ended up selling to the pharma guy. And the whole reason they did it was an exercise in making music have value because they were saying that music had been devalued to the point where, you know, they were looking at fine art and they were like, what makes art different from this art, this medium? Right. And basically what they had come to the conclusion of is that art exists for the most part, when it becomes fine art, it's a one of one. Music is a one of however many you sell. It's it's infinite. Like it's it's kind of devalued because people are like, well, there's so many of these. Who who cares if I share it on the or steal it or whatever? Like it has no value. And even correlating it to like the early '80s and '90s and so forth, where you'd have to like physically do something to go get music. Like you were invested and invested your own time to go purchase this thing. And so I had kind of made the comments to him. I was like, I feel like the way is is sort of how we as media get our media links where it's like it has a watermark and it's attached to you. And I go, yeah. the only thing I think that would work in that space would be to maybe when you buy a record, it has a watermark for digital at least. And it's put onto you. And therefore, if it ever leaks, ever comes back that you're the one who was putting it on these torrent sites and so forth then we can seek actual monetary compensation in some capacity. It holds people accountable. And I was like, I don't think people want to go down that road. I think there would be a lot of backlash if that was how music was consumed and bought at this point. But I don't know. I was like, I don't think you can put the lid back on how people consume media. And and if they're willing to, you know, put forth the investment back into you as the artist who's making it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't, I think that, that the you know pandora's box has been opened you know that's my opinion you know the shakedown we just started our own record label we've we kind of we've had great experiences with labels in the past we've had not so great experiences with labels in the past but all of the experiences that we've had i'm grateful for because we've met a lot of uh very smart and talented people and hardworking people the thing that that's always just frustrated me is the pace that the music industry moves at sometimes it's like if you Say I I write and record a song, I I pay to have the song mixed and mastered and it's ready to go. It's still got to cross ten, fifteen desks before someone's even gonna be considering putting it out in like six months. You know what I mean? And so we we decided we were gonna start our own label for that reason. But it's been interesting since we started our own label, realizing when you're when you're signed to a label, you're essentially a record store you're buying your records from the record label. You're just a record store. You're a record store that goes on the road. You, you know, that's, that's really what you are. And so this is, it's been interesting for us to go, 
this is the first record we've ever put out. Shake the Roots is uh, the first record we've ever put out on our own. It's like the the we have so much more of an opportunity to make money on our own music, which is like what a concept. I never <laughs> like it's 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 blowing me away, you know, and it's it's empowering to us as the creators of the music. But I think it's also been empowering to our fans to know that they are the ones supporting us. You know, right. like they're the ones when they buy a, a record, they, um, you know, we are feeling that. And that's that's been exciting for us. And I don't think that that's the way that the right way for everybody. And who knows, it it might not be the right way for us forever. But um, right now, it, it certainly feels like a, a a worthy cause. It's something to get excited about, you know, and I think we're we're kind of a band that always needs a, a cause, like something to keep us really engaged in this has been great. You know, like we hired our, all of our own publicists, you know, it's like why we're doing this, you know, we, we put together a team and a lot of the people were the people that we worked with at previous record labels. You know, we're like, we really liked this guy. Let's bring him on. Let's help him to spread the word about our weird music that doesn't fit in. (laughs) You know, (laughs) how is the goal very singular focused with the label of just this is a way for us to be to have an avenue to put out things that we want to without you know the 10 other people in the chain of command or do you see this being an opportunity to maybe help other bands that you've gone out with or found in your days of touring and so forth what is the ultimate goal of starting your own label i i totally see it uh growing into um something where we would we where we would work with other artists. I mean, I've been, I've been producing records for other bands and other artists um, over the past couple, couple years, really. Um, really it's been the past couple years that I've kind of, I dove head first into that, but I think we're going to, the shakedown is going to be the Guinea pig for a, for a minute, you know, cause mm-hmm. it's, I, I don't think I've fully anticipated how much infrastructure we would need to, put together you know we we secured a great digital distribution partner we're about to have a um a great physical retail partner in europe and the uk um because it's like you know just just some of that stuff where where the stuff that was always sort of just baked in that's what you're that's why you're giving away all of your money is because someone else has already done the work for you but we've Mm -hmm. never um we've never been afraid of of working hard you know like I, I play this beat up old pink guitar and my, my dad borrowed money to, to get it for me. You know, my mom chipped in this guy loaned my dad the money. And when I took the pit guard off, it said God family and work ethic, you know, and work ethic was always something that my old man said to me a lot. And I think that this is like just a, a way for us to, to work, to create something that we want. You know, we want to own our music. We want to release more music. You know, we want to figure out a way to sustain this so we can keep doing it. So we can be one of those bands that's like 20 years from now g- pretending we're a new band. We just started. We just started. We're just not getting <laughs> successful, you know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the wildest thing, too, is I feel like some of the press I, I've read about you guys over the years is it seems like it's a common sentiment I get said about me. So I feel like that's why I feel so closely like i feel so close to this narrative of you is and i felt it a couple of times throughout this but it's like you know everyone always is the narrative is always that you're an old soul 
you know, for your age, you have a, a wealth of knowledge and a style and an appreciation for things that are well beyond your years. And I feel like, I feel like that's almost a, a, a discredit at times because I feel like it's like my age doesn't determine what I'm into or who I can, who I am or what I can be. But I feel like at times people just don't assume that like youth is kind of, I don't want to say it's wasted, but I feel like at times people look at youth as like this thing that is easily discredited. Right. And I mean, it's like, you know, like I was saying earlier, like your sound doesn't fit any one place. It has, it reminds me of a lot of things I grew up listening to, but I also know that my, my bringing my childhood and stuff like that, probably wasn't the same as any other people. Like people probably didn't wake up on Saturday mornings to fucking Blackfoot or, you know, yeah. to have different things like that in their, their musical lexicon. Plus also being a product of MTV in the early nineties where it played everything. Right. So it's like, I feel like at times I have the, the history and knowledge of things I do because of how I grew up and the experiences I have. But when I talk to older people, they're like, oh, I had no idea you had any idea about any of these things. And it's like, well, you how would you? But you just assume right. on how how old I am and how I look that I wouldn't know anything about any of these things. Right. And I feel like that has been a challenge maybe that you you and the band have probably faced for a while is, you know, oh, they sound, you know, different than how I would imagine a band of this age group would sound or whatever. And it's like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I mean, that's, I got some, it's, it's sort of like damned if you do damned if you don't, you know, it's, it's either the, you're so good for your age or <laughs> you're an old soul. And it's like, no dude, I'm just me right now. And uh, you know, really it's just, it's how much drive do you have? What, what, and what is driving you? Yeah. You know, what are the things motivating you? You know, are you, and what are you, what are you like, what are you listening to? You know, that's like whenever I work with a new with a new band or a new artist I've never worked with before. It's like, what are you listening to? What's exciting you? What, what music are you moved by? What makes you feel like, you know, driving fast? What makes you feel like you want to cry? Like, and just paying attention to some of that stuff. And I think that sometimes, you know, if you, if, when you are paying attention to the way that things make you feel, people will be like, you, you're an old soul when really it's just, you're just you being aware, you know? Actually, I've never thought about it until you just said that in conjunction to what we were talking about earlier. I honestly feel like maybe what it is is that we have reached the age, maybe a little bit faster than most, where we just don't care about how we're perceived. And that's something you usually and typically gain when you become older. And that's why it feels like we're old souls is because we've kind of maybe have found that, that path in life a lot faster than maybe our contemporaries. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and especially, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like you've, you've probably had a judging by the music that you were listening to early on, you know, you were getting fed that rebellious spirit through the music, you know, and, and that's something that I've always felt is it's like, you embrace being the outcast. I embraced being the only person in my school who knew what an Elmore James record sounded like, you know? And I thought that was cool. I wasn't trying to be indie or hip or like any of that stuff. I was just like, this is my thing. This is yeah. something I'm into. And then, you know, the, the longer I've been doing this, I've just found more people who are into the same kind of thing that I am. And, um, 
and the things that I'm into have, have grown and shifted and expanded. And yeah, it's just, it's fun, fun ride. Kind of one of the, the last questions, I guess, as we're kind of wrapping up, cause I don't want to keep you too much longer. You know, you talked about your, your wife being a touring musician and, and someone that, you know, probably is equally touring as much as you do, if not more, maybe as a married person who's been with, you know, we're about to come up on seven years of marriage and being together for almost 13 years total. It's one of those things that I love talking about relationships because I think they're important. And I think you can learn something from everybody. Um, as I was saying earlier, like I'm someone who loves to learn and, and try to gain any little bit of knowledge I can from somebody. What have you found to be a cornerstone for success for your relationship in, in your marriage, being someone that has to be gone so much from each other? Uh, well, I mean, obviously communication is, is huge. You know, I'm, I'm, my wife and I were, uh, we were pen pals for almost a year before we even met. So we, we knew each other very well um, before we ever physically met each other. And when we physically met each other, it was actually really awkward because we knew each other so well and we really <laughs> liked each other, but we were like, this, she, she actually wanted to remain pen pals forever and never meet. That was what her wow. suggestion was. And I was like, that's not going to work um, for me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think for us, it's just been communication and then, um, clearly we, we both are in touring rock bands and we are working towards the same thing. And we've, we've gone through phases where she's really busy and I'm not as busy or I'm really busy and she's not as busy. And it's, it's very easy to, um, to, to get competitive or to let your ego start like mm. whispering in your ear. And so, I think for us, it's been and, and and being married to Rebecca has been one of the greatest like ego checks for me. And it's been great. And to just acknowledge this is my teammate. When she wins, I win. And when I win, she wins. And to start looking at life rather than I'm working for me and start looking at looking at everything is I'm working for us. This is great. This is our you know, we're we're working towards the same goal. And, and the, the goal is to have a good life that we enjoy you know, and share. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's been something that's been, it's been cool to, uh, we've been together for seven years, married for three. And it's, I feel like each year just, it just gets easier to be together and to, uh, balance this crate. Cause our lives are not normal. You know, there's not a lot of normalcy in it and to, to go, okay, we have to provide that for ourselves. And that's been, it's been a fun journey. Have you guys collaborated on music together that you've written together? We have, yeah. Well, actually, there's a couple songs on the new uh, Shakedown record. There's one called Ain't None Watered Down that we wrote together. And then there's one called Hard Learned, which is my favorite song on the record um, that we wrote together. And uh, we write we write a lot of music for fun. Um, like we, we have like a stack of just like classic country songs because we're both really into like old school country and so we we write that stuff over coffee sometimes and uh and i co-produced the new larkin poe record and we did it you know in our in our studio and and uh and i wrote four four or five songs on that record with rebecca as well so yeah it's we have fun making music together we we don't do it all the time but when we do do it it's it feels special 
So I was going to say, I could feel, I could see that being a thing where either the competition maybe between the two of you to try to make the best song you can could also drive you nuts. Cause then if you're like, you're not getting a reprieve from it, like <clears throat> the only experience really I have to kind of speak on is that my wife and I worked at the same job. Like I went and joined the company she worked for, for a little bit. And at the time I didn't think it would be that big of a deal. Cause I was like, I'm in a different department than you, you're a boss, you know, like you do all this other shit, but then I'd come home and I'd be like, she was like, Oh, what did you do today? I'm like, Oh, I did this. I did this. Wait, why do they have you doing this? You, you don't even have to do that. Like that's a, this thing is only based on whatever the client wants. So there's nothing that they can train you on how to do it because it's all different circumstances. Every time we make this product. And I was like, I don't know. And then it just became this thing where I was like, you know, everyone kind of bitches about their day to their spouse or their significant other. And when it's the same people, it's the same place. You're just in the constant cycle of like, it's just work every 24 seven. And I remember even during my exit interview at the place, they're like, well, why are you leaving? I was like, cause I value my marriage over this job. Yeah. I will always choose my marriage over this job. Yeah. But I, dude, I, I, I can relate with that. That's like Beck and I just took a, we just took a, a trip out to the smoky mountains and we were like, hmm. no work. We're not, we're not going to check Instagram. We're not doing the, we're not doing the thing. The world's going to keep spinning. We're still going to have bands in two days, but like, let's just take some time <laughs> where we don't do it because it's such this, this industry does demand so much of your time and energy. And, uh, and like, I, I think about, um, one time I went home for Christmas and my, my grandpa was still alive and he asked me what was going on in my life. And I'm like, man, we're going out with guns and roses. We're doing this. We're doing this. I'm going back to Europe. I can't wait. He's like, dude, I didn't ask about your job. That's about your life. And and it's so easy because music is so much of our lives, you know, and and he didn't quite understand that. But you do you have to find a balance and, and remind yourself what you're working for, you know, and what you're working towards. And, and you know, so, yeah, it's, it's balance is a it's a that's a, f- a fun word to uh, <laughs> throw around because we're both like bombs away all the time, you know balance is something that that we have to really work for i just had i had the same thing the other day my wife took a random monday off because mondays are usually my day off from working at the brewery and we just hung out all day and i I really enjoyed it and we were watching you know getting lost in a tv show and just literally doing nothing and at one point i was like i should probably go work on the podcast or send out an email or or whatever and i just was like stop stop yeah just be yeah. here. Just be here. It's okay. Like you can take one day and not do something. Yeah. And you just, might, and you might do, you might do the something you needed to do better after you take some time and recharge, you know, that's like just, you know, I, especially with music. Cause I always have this voice in my head going, write a better song, go write a better song. Just do it. You know, you, you, you could, you could do a million things, but what you really need to do is go write a better song. And sometimes you write a better song if you just go do something different, you know, go mow the yard, go for a walk, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's fun life. It's interesting. I was talking, I don't know if you know this guy cause he uh, tours quite a bit and it sort of kind of reminds me of you as far as not fitting in anywhere, but I, I love the music because it doesn't fit in anywhere. It feels like listening to a, a great playlist. Um, Austin Mead, I just 
did another chat with him uh, a couple like last week and he was talking about because i had made the comment about how the record feels like a collection of songs it sort of reminded me of uh songs for the deaf by queens of the stone age where like that record is basically tied together of being on a, on a road trip and you're changing the dial of the record or the radio and then just hearing whatever is coming on so that's why the record doesn't feel like any one kind of vibe because that's what a, a radio when you're driving is like you're just kind of dialing until you get something and he was talking about how he approaches songwriting differently because he goes you know i look at some people and they just you know write five records about themselves and i'm like man you must think you're really fucking interesting huh and he goes, I'd rather write stories or, you know, I kind of look at it from a creative standpoint of just like, okay, like what if there was a story and this kind of thing was going on? And I was like, it's a really interesting way to approach songwriting because I feel like, and I'd never really thought about it. Like you must think you're really fucking interesting. If you, if you're writing about yourself for like six, seven, eight, nine, ten records, like <laughs> it's just kind of, I, I, I wrote two of the songs on that record with him. Um, oh, yeah. He came to, he came to Nashville and we, and we wrote, couple songs i'd never met him before and we wrote two songs in a day and and threw down the tracks and uh they ended up making the record which is cool but i haven't i haven't had a chance to hear the whole album yet i've only heard a couple songs is it out Same. is his record out no nope it comes out uh, i think next month like early next month i believe as cool. of when we're recording but yeah it's he's he's one of those that like i and it's fun, funny that i didn't know that you had worked with him so funny that it uh ended up kind of working out that way. But when he was talking about his songwriting process, he very much is the same though. And that was why I was bringing up that story. Cause he says, I just want to write good songs. I just want to write the best song I can. And it doesn't matter what kind of style it is. It doesn't matter what it's about. I just want to write good songs. And I want to challenge myself to keep writing good songs. And it's right. funny because the through line between the two of you, as I'm realizing it is, you know, he, when he had done the podcast almost two years ago, his record wasn't out. And he was in the studio writing what would become the record that's about to come out. And I know he's currently writing for the next record that will be out probably in another year and a half. And, right. you know, he and I were talking about how that's not a normal life to live as a, as a recording artist in a, in a music, like an actual professional musician. Cause usually, as you were saying, the music industry dictates kind of what you do. It's like you write this record. You're going to send it to whoever to get mastered. Then you're looking at how far of a delay is the vinyl pressing and all the, the pre-orders and all that kind of stuff. Typically, you also want to align it with the tour that's going to come out. So that way, it's kind of all these, these announcements. And you know, then you're looking at maybe like, oh, we want to do well and we want to chart. So, okay, like who's putting out what, when, so we can kind of time this for the most success it can have and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And typically you don't get to then go write and record until it's time to punch that clock and go do it again because you've done your two year album cycle and to see someone like Austin. And I assume like yourself where you're just constantly writing stuff. It's like, it's gotta be nice to almost kind of have the, the best of both worlds where you get to create in the new still tour something that you, you just got done doing relatively early, like not that long ago. And hopefully you can kind of keep that pattern going because of your work ethic, as you were saying, earlier yeah, as well that's the plan, man that's the plan yeah, we've you, already got we've already got cannonballs sitting next to the cannon ready to go you know and that's and we're the kind of band that always has that and we've just uh we just realized like cool if we if we want to fight this we got to build our own army you know and so that's what we're that's what we're doing we're just trying to figure out how to how to best win the win the wars we want to fight you know what i mean um i guess last question for you, you know the the year is wrapping up what are you looking forward to uh, to end this year, and what do you, what goals do you have for next year? Uh, well, I mean, the 
I'm looking forward. We've we've got some uh, some American tour dates coming up to to wrap up this year, which I'm excited about. And uh, I'm I'm honestly I'm excited to see my family at the end of the year. I don't get to see my family very often. They all live in Texas. Um, and I'm excited to just I'm excited to spend the holidays with my wife. I haven't seen her a bunch this year because we've both been working so much. So um, outside of shakedown shows, which I'm excited about, excited about that. I've been working on some some music in my studio and uh, I'm finishing up a record with an artist that I'm really excited about as well. So, and then I've got, I've got a big announcement uh, coming early next year that, that I think will excite, excite a handful of people as well. The Tyler Bryant metal album. <laughs> the Tyler Bryant <laughs> rock metal album. We're going for church. Running. No, I'm just kidding. I couldn't, it was low hanging fruit. It was very, <laughs> wanted a cheap pop. Um, where could everyone find you or anything you would like to, to plug online? I'm the Tyler Bryant on Instagram and Twitter. TB shakedown is the band account, you know, anywhere, just type in Tyler Bryant, and the shakedown anywhere. We're in all the obvious places. And our new record is shake the roots just came out and rattle shake records is, uh, is the label. And yeah, we got, we got the vinyl coming, uh, next month these cool orange vinyls so i'll have to get you one i you know what i joke all the time i would i always like want test presses or free vinyl because i literally like right over here is all my records and i'm always like i think doing the podcast for almost six years i've gotten two records <laughs> for real yeah no like and i'm like i get it like they're expensive and you know you don't want to give them away but also i'm just kind of like they're less like expensive if you own your own label uh, yeah, I mean, I've heard that a bunch. Uh, owning your own masters, like uh, Josta from Hatebreed has his podcast, and he was talking about how on his solo stuff he's done, he owns the masters to outright. And for the longest time, if you listen to his show, like the first probably three, four years of his show, I fucking hate Spotify. They don't pay people. The royalty rates suck, blah, 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 blah. Then he put out his own own solo stuff and he owned all the masters he's like you know what actually it's not that bad it's not it's not the royalty it's not the payout rate that sucks it's the company taking their cut and then giving you the fraction that's left and he goes when you own your own shit it's actually a pretty hefty penny that you can get and then i was like it's funny to hear the difference and i think it's the narrative that gets pushed but it's like owning your own stuff obviously is more rewarding for a multitude of reasons, but it has been interesting to hear people then go, I thought I was getting fucked all this time and I hated Spotify and Apple music and all these places. But once I owned my own stuff, I actually realized it's not that bad of a deal. Um, you just have to own your own stuff. Yeah. And that's the hard part is people don't, don't control their own destiny like that. Um, but thoroughly enjoyed uh, the chat. I would love to have you back on another time when, you know, some other stuff is going on. And yeah, I'm really dude. bummed, like I said, that uh, you're playing when the day we leave to go to Atlanta. Uh, I already looked at the routing. You're not really going to be around <laughs> us at all. Well, the cool, uh, cool after thing that. is we always come back. So we'll catch you next time. Absolutely. We'll enjoy a, a beer or something. Uh, next yeah, time. man. Hey, good to awesome. see you, dude. Thanks for having me on. So that was my conversation with Tyler Bryant. Um, want to thank him again for taking the time and really enjoyed the chat. Um, you know, if you go and watch the video version of this, or if you're watching the YouTube version of this, uh, currently, you know, something I thought was really interesting and kind of telling was, you know, asking him about his wife, um, and the relationship they have, it's something, the body language kind of changed and it was really interesting to kind of see, 
you know, the smile kind of come up on his face and, and to hear the stories of like how him and his wife, you know, started dating. The whole pen pal thing I think was really interesting. You know, I almost wanted to ask like legit pen pals, like you're, you're handwriting letters to each other. You're, you're doing that whole thing or, you know, probably in, in the day and age now, it's probably emails, but it's really interesting to think that I guess that that still exists, you know, that the relationships can exist and you don't know the person, you know, and, and I guess it kind of even goes back to, you know, Dan and I talking a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and, and making the comment like people didn't realize we'd never met in person. And I know there's a little bit of a difference between, you know, possibly being pen pals and, and not wanting to meet or not meeting versus, you know, doing something over the Internet where we can see each other and, and all of that. But it's really interesting to kind of hear that story and think that there are people who, you know, relationships start one way and then they manifest into this this whole other thing. And it's again, like I kind of had said and, and said in the chat, you know, old souls and such like that's such a such an old school way to kind of get to know someone. But I, I mean, hearing that, I'm not surprised that the relationship has endured and, and is able to endure um, because they learned how to communicate without having any of the, the day to day interactions and a, and a lot of the things that, you know, sometimes will take us uh, from out of our relationships and so forth. So it was a really cool thing to to hear, but it was really kind of cool for me to to see him kind of change like the body language a little bit and to see him kind of light up uh, when he was talking about his wife. So uh, enjoyed that. And maybe, you know, I hope, I hope when I ask these kind of questions, I hope that potentially, you know, you as the listener are taking something away. And I mean, a lot of times like I, the reason I ask these things is literally, like I said, because, you know, being in a marriage and all those kind of things, I think you can learn from people who are in extraordinary situations uh, where a relationship is still able to be successful and thrive in non-traditional settings. And it's also something that, you know, my wife and I get pros the question quite a bit. And it's it's kind of awkward at times because, you know, a lot of people say they want what like my wife and I have and and it's really flattering on the one hand but on the other hand it's like but they're I don't know if you really want to hear the the real answer as to why it's it's successful and why it works like it works because we put in the time it works because we want it to work and I think that's a huge part right there but the other thing that I say and sometimes people don't enjoy hearing this is it's like I think you have to change your expectations of what you're looking for and what I mean by that is I definitely know my wife is not who I expected to be with forever. And I know that I'm not what my wife was expecting to, to be married to either. And it's, you know, when we first got together, one of the, the things that we talked about was our, our past, our past relationships, but really from a perspective of like the long-term relationship that we both got out of that really taught us a lot about ourselves and what we don't want from people. But you have to, take ownership of some of the things and you also have to communication is key but also not being afraid to 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 tell someone something you know i think a lot of us have our own baggage but we're, we don't want to tell anyone about it but those are the things that you know keep our walls up and stuff like that and don't let other people in and then when something goes awry you're just like well uh, we're done and you're like well, what happened talk to me and I think that's a thing a lot of people aren't willing to to do. I don't think people are will, willing to be that real and, and honest about and own, you know, their past uh, and and talk about what they really want out of somebody. And I know a big one for my wife and I was that, you know, we, we went through relationships that were not 
where we felt blindsided at the end, you know, like that, that the thing ended and, and we thought we were working toward this, this common life and this goal between us and our other significant others. And then it just, the rug was pulled out from under us. And then we're being told about all these things that these people never liked about us. And you're like, well, then why, if I'm so bad, why did you stay in this relationship for so many years? Like, why? <laughs> like that makes no sense. And I know that was something both my wife and I really kind of, I think was one of the first big connections between the two of us was just, you know, understanding that if this is going to work, like we can't do that. We can't, we've had it done to us. So we don't want to do it to each other and drag something on that that we're not into. And, you know, 13 years, that's, that's a long, that's a third of my life I've spent with my wife at this point, you know, almost being 40. Um, it's, it's, I mean, almost a quarter at this point, but semantics. Um, but it's one of those things like I enjoy hearing what others, people who have successful marriages and what they do to, to keep them going. Um, so hopefully, you know, if you're out there and, and haven't met that person or maybe you're in a relationship that's just not working or whatever, or, or trying to find ways to, to make it be more successful and, and all that, maybe, uh, maybe these little glimpses are able to help you. And that's, that's what I want out of it. I want to be able to, to have people, be happy with who they are. Or honestly, maybe you're going to find out you're not happy with that person. And maybe some of these conversations, when you hear like, these are things that work for us. If you're not having those same things, maybe it's, that's the realization in that moment you'll have where you're like, I guess I need to, to not be in this. It's not healthy for me. Um, all of that aside, really enjoyed talking with Tyler. Would love to have him back on. We'll definitely have him back on uh, whenever the opportunity arises. If you would like to keep up with Tyler on the socials, you can find him at Facebook at Tyler Bryant and The Shakedown, Instagram at Tyler Bryant, Twitter at Tyler Bryant, and you can follow the band on Instagram at TB Shakedown and Twitter at TB Shakedown as well. Or simply just head over to Tyler Bryant and The Shakedown.com for everything going on. Please go check out the band on tour. Uh, like I said, I'm really bummed that they are coming through when my wife and I are going... Uh, to Atlanta for her birthday. Again, that's that's a thing we do. That is, uh, we literally just went for my birthday with a bunch of friends, really enjoyed it, but we felt like we kind of didn't have that piece of Atlanta that we love. And so we decided to go right back uh, and kind of get some of that back that we missed on the last trip from having a little bit too many people uh, to kind of do things with. So again, find find ways to connect with your people uh, and and do things and showcase that you're you're really... Uh, there for them and they're there for you so have those moments and if you like keep up with the podcast simple enough bruce speak pod on all the socials super easy to find also want to thank our podcast sponsors for sponsoring the show consistently rockabilia go to rockabilia.com use our code brutally at checkout take 10 percent off your total purchase order starving artist brewing company i uh, want to thank them for coming on recently and sponsoring the show uh, really loving the beer minutes. It's been giving me a reason to kind of talk about beers that I've been having and drinking uh, in a different capacity where it doesn't feel awkward and weird that I have to just bring it up in a conversation. A um, lot of things brewing, no pun intended, but pun intended uh, with them going on. So looking forward to delving more into this new relationship. Uh, the Bean Bastard, go to thebeanbastard.com, pick up some delicious coffee. Uh, if you're in the Buffalo, New York area, go check out the brick and mortar store they have. Last but not least, On Point Palmade, use our code BSP15 at checkout and take 15% off your total purchase order. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I will see you all next time with, well, not entirely sure. 
Uh, I pretty much already done all the interviews I was supposed to do. Uh, one of them did not pan out uh, due to some scheduling issues. So that may be the next one. It may be something else that comes up due to the pipeline. Not entirely sure. You'll have to stay tuned. I'll talk to you all then.